Hey, welcome to Lutheran Basics. My name is Pastor Jonathan Petzold. I serve as the senior pastor here at Trinity. And I'm Krista Petzold, Pastor Jonathan's wife. This is lesson five out of six in the Lutheran Basics, the Introduction to Lutheranism series, which is the core content of the new member class here at Trinity. Our new member class also has an in-person component where we dig deeper into these topics and work through your questions. So if you're part of that class, please take notes and write down your questions as you follow along and bring them with you to the discussion time. Awesome. And as you listen tonight, make sure that you follow along uh, on page 11 in your student mm -hmm. journal. Mm -hmm. So in, this week, our topic is the third article of the Apostles' Creed. So we're going to start by reading it, reading the third article itself, and then Luther's explanation. Good place to start. All right. Sanctification. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. What does this mean? I believe that I cannot by my own reason or strength believe in Jesus Christ my Lord or come to him, but the Holy Spirit has called me by the gospel, enlightened me with his gifts, sanctified and kept me in the true faith. In the same way, he calls, gathers, enlightens, and sanctifies the whole Christian church on earth and keeps it with Jesus Christ in the one true faith. In this Christian church, he daily and richly forgives all my sins and the sins of all believers. On the last day, he will raise me and all the dead and give eternal life to me and to all believers in Christ. This is most certainly true. Awesome. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit tonight and what the Holy Spirit does and uh, the, the, the things that he uh, does to gather Christians uh, into his church. But first and foremost, he gives us the gift of faith. So uh, you, you might see those first few blanks um, uh, in your lesson uh, under Roman numeral one. Uh, apart from the Holy Spirit, sinners are spiritually blind and dead and thus cannot trust in Christ and resist the gospel's call to faith. So, so that, that's like the state of being that we are in as sinners. We, we can't do anything for ourselves. We're, we're equivalent to being blind or dead and, and we, 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 we can't actually do it ourselves, right? So uh, I guess when you ask like what is the role of the Holy Spirit in salvation? And what does this mean that we don't contribute to our salvation? Um, well, I guess when we hear that, first and foremost, it means that the Holy Spirit brings people to repentance, um, and that repentance comes about by the law, right? Uh, showing us, hey, here's the standard, and here's how we fall below that standard, that, that standard that comes from God. Uh, but then also that the Holy Spirit uh, actually... Uh, brings us to faith, and, and that's faith by the gospel, right? Right. So the Holy Spirit works through the word of both the law and the gospel um, to bring people to repentance. Right, right. So the Holy Spirit is like the faith giver, the, the life giver, uh, the, the one who actually makes God's people God's people, right? Uh, and, and he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Um, so that, that means that what we don't contribute to our salvation uh, is really anything at all, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, so sometimes, you know, um, you hear people will say um, in other Christian traditions that you need to decide to follow Jesus or invite Jesus into your heart or make a dis you know, accept Jesus. Some We call that decision theology. Right. Um, 
because that emphasizes something that we do in our own salvation. We make a decision or we pray a specific prayer or something. Um, whereas the Bible says that you're dead in your sins. So if somebody is dead, then they cannot do anything about the fact that they're dead. Like a dead person cannot do, can't, can't invite somebody to resurrect them. They're, they're just done. Right. You know? Right. Yeah. So. Yeah. So, so then, then that, that kind of gets into a conversation about this big word, uh, it's a word that we kind of like as Lutherans called justification, right? Um, Didn't Martin Luther invent justification? Yeah, completely, right? From scratch. From scratch. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> no, we're joking. Uh, we're, we're joking. But um, um, yeah, so you've got justification and then it's probably also then to talk in, in the same uh, conversation about sanctification because there's a big distinction there. Mm -hmm. and, and really, I think that it helps to actually know the difference between justification and sanctification uh, to, to kind of help understand it. So, so justification, uh, we would, we would describe that as, as God declaring sinners righteous and righteous is to be in a right relationship with God uh, so that, that God declares sinners to be in that right relationship with him righteous uh, because of Christ. So for Christ's sake, because he died on the cross and he rose again, uh, for us, right? So then the righteousness of Christ is given to us. It's imputed or credited. Like, it's like, based on nothing we do, it is applied to our account. Right. So the justification language is often kind of like courtroom verdict language. Um, yeah. 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 And then what's sanctification? So we should do about Yeah, that. yeah. So, um, so sanctification is to be made uh, holy. Um, and, and holy in a sense that uh, you, you are strengthened in the faith that you are given, um, and it's increasing the good fruit uh, of, of works that we do in our lives. Um, mm -hmm. So it's, it's really changing our desires to, to, so that, that we would overcome sin, and instead of doing sin, we actually do good works. So sanctification is is living more and more like Jesus. So as Lutherans, we say we do not cooperate in our justification, but we do cooperate in our sanctification. So the sanctification, um, both justification and sanctification are works of the Holy Spirit in us, right? So the justification is that when God sees us, he sees Jesus's righteousness instead of our sin. Mm -hmm. And then the sanctification is that because we are Christians and have the Holy Spirit, um, we are able to actually grow in our faith and in good works. Right. Not that we will ever arrive at perfection on this side of heaven, but that we will grow. And and it's important, like, sometimes, so that joke I made about didn't Luther invent justification, <laughs> like, this distinction of justification, sanctification, sometimes, like, um, you know, Roman Catholics will accuse protestants of sort of artificially adding that into the tradition um and it what what the kernel of truth in that is that um words become formalized and are given definitions as controversies arise over time so like the word trinity wasn't used in christendom until like mm. you know the 200s or something because the doctrine of the trinity hadn't been attacked and it became formalized and they used a word for it so you can certainly find the teachings of justification by faith alone in the early church fathers, even if they don't use that word for it. Yeah. Yeah. I get distracted by church history. Yeah, sometimes. Sure. yeah that's great. Yeah. 
but but it's 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 good. So so justification. I think it's also important to make sure that we get the timeline right. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I say that, I mean um, often I think sometimes Christians will will kind of view justification as a future event in the life of the Christian. And, and you're on this process or on this path of becoming more and more like Jesus until one day you are finally justified. You're, you're fully saved. Or, it's kind of the other way around, right? And it's really the other way around, right? Um, you are saved. You're justified. And that's like the beginning point for the Christian. And then it's because you are saved and you have the Holy Spirit working in you that, that he actually then grows you to be more and more like Christ mm-hmm. um, throughout your life. But even when you fail... That doesn't mean you, you lose your salvation. It just means, hey, guess what? Uh, you're still saved, right? And then you you continue to live more and more like Jesus, right? So so I guess then that kind of brings us back then to the uh, the, the topic of faith and, and what the Holy Spirit is actually giving us when he gives us the gift of faith. So, so what is faith and why can you be confident in your salvation even when you're not living like Jesus as you should, right? Um, I, I would say that, that faith is believing the gospel um, that, that has been promised to you. Uh, so salvation uh, is, is not reliant on your thoughts. It's not reliant on your feelings or your words or your deeds. So your salvation is sure because it is God who always keeps his promises. So salvation is, is God's promise to you that on account of Christ, who has taken all of your sin on himself, um, and has given you his his righteousness, his right relationship with God. It's like this wonderful trade, right? Um, where where we, we we get all the good stuff uh, that that's been done for you by God. It's not something that you uh, have to do for for yourself, right? So so it's really trusting and depending on Jesus and His deeds that they are sufficient for salvation. Um, and maybe maybe you remember when we talked about the means of grace a few lessons ago, um, but but that the means of grace don't just convey information about God, uh, they actually deliver salvation, and it's the Holy Spirit using the means of grace to bring that salvation to you. Um, and, and I guess the last thing I'd say too is is Scripture describes how God chooses people out of pure grace, right, to inherit eternal life. Um, and that's why you can be sure of your salvation. Now, that's that's the gift of the Holy Spirit to you, right? So, uh, so now let's let's kind of shift gears, and and we're going to look at kind of what creates the church. So, so if the Holy Spirit works that kind of individual salvation in us, um, what happens when he, he brings all these individuals that he's worked salvation in together, right? And yeah. We call this the church. Yeah. So Martin Luther actually in. One of my favorite things that Martin Luther wrote is his large catechism explanation to the third article where he talks about the church. Hmm. And that's like, I just love that part. Um, So I don't have any of those quotes, but he emphasizes that like sanctification and the church are like this. Like where does sanctification happen? Where do we become more holy? Through the church. Mm -hmm. Like we are not actually individuals floating around on our own, having our own personal faith. Right. Um, you know, we are one body. Okay. So we're going to start with Romans 10, 17. Yep. Um, where is it? So this is, uh, as Crystal reads these, these are um, characteristics uh, that, that help us to identify the church, right? 
um, and, and what, what actually defines what the church is. So if you're looking for a good church, uh, church to be a part of, uh, this is what you should be looking for in a church. Okay, so, um, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Okay, so, uh, so we would say, all right, so church is proclaiming that word of Christ um, and, and preferably in its purity. So, so one of the characteristics is the pure proclamation of the gospel. Right. All right. So then we got 1 Corinthians 10, 16. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Next. So so that's describing the Lord's Supper, communion, uh, where we receive the body and blood of Christ. And it talks about it being a participation uh, in his body and blood. So so another identifying characteristic is is actually, um, we would say, like the proper administration of communion. Um, that that kind of allows us to participate fully in the body and blood of Christ. So, and then finally, we have Matthew 18, verse 20. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am among them. All right, so so that, that's talking about actually being gathered uh, in the name of Christ. So, so he's the one who unites us. Uh, he's the one whose name we proclaim uh, and teach, right? So we're doing things in his name. So... Um, let's go to the small catechism then. Uh, or ask the question, in what ways does the Holy Spirit answer the second petition of the Lord's Prayer through his work in the church? Okay, so the second petition <clears throat> is thy kingdom come. What does this mean? The kingdom of God certainly comes by itself without our prayer, but we pray in this petition that it may come to us also. How does God's kingdom come? God's kingdom comes when our Heavenly Father gives us His Holy Spirit so that by His grace we believe His Holy Word and lead godly lives here in time and there in eternity. Awesome. So so um, maybe when you walk into church, you don't necessarily think about like walking into a kingdom, but that, that's that's almost how we should think of it because um, that, that's, that's where God's reign is happening. Um, and, and that word kingdom in, in Scripture, uh, I think when we think of a kingdom, it Think of it like this, like static um, castle or uh, walled city or something like that, or, or palace. But but God's kingdom is is an active kingdom. It's it's uh, getting out there. The reign of God. It's like the reign of God over all things, and and primarily He reigns uh, through uh, the activity of the, the church, um, so that that the Holy Spirit is using the gifts that He gives to us in His Word and sacraments to to claim people as His own. And bring people under the reign of Christ, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, so whenever we pray in the Lord's Prayer, "Thy kingdom come," we're, we're praying that God would continue His reign through Jesus um, by the Holy Spirit's work. So, so let's talk then about. I mean, if we're talking about the reign of Christ and um, and, and the kingdom of God and, and praying for that, then I, maybe it's important to then talk about what is the mission of the church. Yeah. So the church, um, the church is Jesus presence in the world right mm -hmm. um <clears throat> so he reigns through the presence of his church um so the church is called to hold fast to the word mm -hmm. right um to confess and proclaim the forgiveness of sins um by preaching the word of god administering the sacraments um it is natural then for the church to grow yeah um so like the when we think of the mission of the church, we usually think of 
missionaries or evangelism. Um, but that, that really, I feel like that comes, that flows naturally out of the fact that the church is gathered around God's word and his right. sacraments. So um, you see the impulse to spread the word and to bring people in, in the early church as they, even as they gather together every week, and are, you know, listening to the words of the apostles and um, participating in the Lord's Supper, that that act in and of itself is evangelistic and that then they're also just compelled to go and tell others. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So so it's almost like the word in sacraments is like, uh, we're, we're it, it's really the source. It's, it's the source of God's reign and, and rule mm -hmm. for us and like his power. Um, and so we, we gather around that and that of course makes us want to, uh, bring that to others, to, yeah. to bring others there and, and to establish new churches. And, and also to and, yeah. others come in. Then. Yeah, so it's not exactly. just that, like, it's not simply a sending out, but it's a gathering in. Yeah. Yeah. So, so let's, let's talk about, uh, the, the pastor then and like the role of the pastor. Uh, and, and to do that, we're going to look at a few different passages here. So let's first go to Matthew chapter 28, uh, looking at verses 18 through 20. Okay. Um, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Cool. So, so that, that's that's Jesus's great commission. So, um, that in and of itself is not necessarily an establishment of the pastoral office, but it does give the um, the, the church kind of like some marching orders, and and um, it is Jesus um, kind of giving agency to the church uh, to to use his cosmic authority, all all authority in heaven and earth that has been given to Jesus from the Father. He gives to the church to make make disciples uh, by baptizing them and then also teaching them um, teaching them his word. And so, how that connects to pastors is that uh, pastors are are kind of um, uh, agents of that great commission. Uh, so, so they they learn God's word so that they can teach God's word uh, purely uh, and, and, and grow those disciples and everything that Jesus has commanded. Well, but the great commission right? is given to the entire church, yeah. right? So, and then the pastoral office, the pastor is called by the church from among the church right. to publicly do um, so the acts of, like, baptizing and, right. and so on. And so that, like, power and call is held by the congregation, by the church as a whole, mm -hmm. and then it's sort of embodied in a unique way in the pastor. Exactly. Is that a fair way to say it? Yeah, yeah. Good way so, to say it. And I, I mean, so, like... Other church bodies like will fall off on one side or the other of this. So, like, you know, in in like uh, the Roman Catholic Church, the the authority is seen more top down. Like, the authority of the church is not held by the priest of all believers, but comes through like the papacy, mm -hmm. right? Versus, you know, prominent 
famous uh, like Baptist preachers who take that text of the Great Commission and use it to say that everyone is essentially a pastor. Mm. Everybody preaches. And I've you heard that used to justify women's ordination because it's taken as well. Go and make disciples. That's everybody. He doesn't say to just... <laughs> so, you know, like we have this, this sort of nuance to it, like that the pastoral office comes from the church, but it's still a distinct yeah. thing. So then, then let's look at John chapter 20, verses 21 to 23. And, and this is right after Jesus rose from the dead. Okay. Um, Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. So we see this kind of um, Jesus uh, creating like agents uh, of, of his power, again, if you want to say it that way. So um, uh, he's like deputizing. In, in this scene, his disciples, he's sending them uh, as apostles uh, to, to, to bring his forgiveness. So uh, Jesus gives to the church. Uh, we already kind of talked about this earlier uh, in, in the Means of Grace lesson, but he gives the church the uh, authority to forgive sins and retain sins on his behalf. And so, uh, like, like Krista said as well, um, pastors are, are kind of called from among the congregation uh, to do that publicly, uh, like on, on behalf of the church, on behalf of Christ, right? Uh, let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 5. Okay. So, this is written to Timothy, who is a young pastor, right? So this is instructions to a pastor from Paul. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. All right. So, so there, it's kind of really emphasizing the importance of Timothy, who's his pastor, uh, to to bring the word of God to bear, uh, like accurately uh, and, and truthfully, and, and with, with like pure doctrine and teaching. Um, because that's really what affects uh, and, and kind of shapes the lives of the faithful. Um, and he says even like there will be days when uh, people won't want um, sound teaching uh, and pure doctrine. And, and because they, they are, you know, as sinners, we, we like to drift and kind of do our own thing, right? So, mm-hmm. uh, so Timothy is charged with actually doing this well so that people uh, do actually live more and more like Jesus as the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us to do. Um, well, let's do that last one, 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. 
Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. All right, so, so there you just kind of have some qualifications for, uh, for overseers, which is another term uh, in Scripture for pastors. Um, and and you, you kind of see who sets the qualifications there. Uh, it's not it's not human like humanity. It's not man. It's it's not even the church. It's it's God. The 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 church might be the ones who kind of kind of test or uh, kind of look at the credentials, if you will, of of people who are of, of men who might be pastors. But um, it's God who kind of sets who should or should not be a pastor, right? So uh, let, let's go into our last section then here. So uh, looking at what really is the hope of the Bible then? And, and then what will this have to do with the Holy Spirit? Like the um, ultimate hope the Bible professes. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. You know, so, so like what do we look forward to? And, and what, why is the Holy Spirit in the, in the business, as it were, of uh, making people brand new? Why, why is he giving people faith for, for what? goal for what purpose for what reason to end to what end all right so all let's right. look at romans chapter 8 19 through 23 for the creation waits with eager longing for the re revealing of the sons of god for the creation was subjected to futility not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of god for we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? Oh, I'm, I'm supposed to stop. All right, all right, you can stop. Sorry. Okay. Sorry, I gave you an extra verse. <laughs> there you go. Cool, cool. So, um, so, so you might have uh, heard a phrase in there that was maybe kind of peculiar, but uh, that we're waiting for the redemption of our bodies. Mm -hmm. So, so let, let's start with that. What happens when we die? Um, we would say, biblically speaking, death is when the, the soul unnaturally separates from the body, right? And, and when you die, then um, your, your soul. Uh, goes uh, to to heaven immediately to be with Jesus in heaven, right? Um, and so, so we, we don't believe in purgatory. Uh, that's not a biblical concept. Um, uh, purgatory being a, a kind of a Roman Catholic uh, concept where where people ba basically go to temporary hell uh, while they're purged of all their sins, uh, and then and so they can finally be. Uh, kind of clean enough or purified enough to stand before Christ. Uh, we would say that that all happened at the cross when Jesus took your sins for you. So your soul immediately goes to be with Christ in heaven. It'll be the best thing you've ever experienced. Uh, but but that's not actually the end, right? Um, and, and so so while your while while your soul is in heaven, your your body is still back on earth. Maybe it's decomposed or eaten by an alligator or you know who knows what, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but but what, 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 what Paul was saying in, in Romans chapter 8 there was that we actually look forward to the redemption of our bodies. And, and not only that, but that creation itself waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Uh, that, that revealing of the sons of God, that, that's, that's talking about us as Christians. So those who are children of God um, will, will ultimately be revealed, you would say, in the resurrection. 
So, so what, what we look forward to then is, is Jesus returning again, coming back here, uh, reuniting our souls with our, our bodies, the same bodies that, that we had before, but now in a brand new state, made brand new, uh, made as they should be to, to live forever. And, and Jesus will make his dwelling here with us on earth, and, and there'll be a renewed creation. So sometimes you might hear that phrase, a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, that's this world being uh, uh, renewed, uh, re refashioned, where, where sin is no longer part of the world. Uh, it is set free from that, that bondage of, of corruption. And so Jesus will, will raise our bodies just as his body was raised on Easter. Um, and, and we will be uh, dwelling with Jesus here on a renewed earth for forever. Uh, that, that's really the hope that we have. And so the Spirit is working that resurrection life in us already. Uh, that, that's what happens when he gives you, you faith. Um, he's, he's really giving you eternal life uh, such that even if you were to die, you would still live. Your, your soul would go to be with Jesus, and, and then your soul would be reunited with your body at the, at, at the resurrection when Jesus returns. So, so that's that's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we we believe in. So uh, that that'll kind of conclude this this lesson. Uh, go ahead and check out those dig deeper questions. Uh, prepare your thoughts and your questions based on uh, this discussion. Uh, and we'll see you in class. Thank you.